It's April 13th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I am pleased to be your tour guide as we read through the daily portions from the Old and New Testaments, making our way through the entire Bible in a year. A few mornings ago, I was reading in my personal time of meditation, Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. Nearly every one of the 175 verses contains a reference to the importance and value of God's Word. There are various synonyms for the Word, such as the Law of the Lord, the Statutes, Precepts, Decrees, Commandments, His Revealed Ways, etc. The psalmist expresses the great benefits of walking in the light of God's Word, treasuring God's Word, meditating upon God's Word, hiding God's Word in your heart, observing, obeying, and delighting in God's Word. He speaks of seeking Him through the Word, being instructed, counseled, illuminated, disciplined, strengthened, and enlarged in our heart's understanding and capacity for His affections through His Word. So let's submit ourselves to the living Word today as we travel through the written Word. Psalm 119 verse 25 says, Revive me according to your Word. In fact, he repeats that request to be revived according to his Word or his ways or his loving kindness nine times. In Psalm 119 verse 129, he says, Remove the false way from me. So this is our prayer request as we go into the Word today. We can pray as the psalmist did, How I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name. Let's go now to the Old Testament portion where we have been with Joshua in the Promised Land. Now we're in Joshua chapter 7. You remember that there was sin in the camp yesterday and there's going to be an examination to find out where is the source of the problems. So here we are in Joshua chapter 7, beginning with verse 16. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zarahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zarahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them, and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent, with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. 
and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Chapter 8 The Fall of Ai And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose thirty thousand mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us, until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing from us, just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. And they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai, with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about five thousand men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai, to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all the people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place, and as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city, and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. 
and Israel struck them down, until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive, and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. Joshua renews the covenant. At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, quote, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, end quote. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded at the first, to bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing, and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Chapter 9 the Gibeonite Deception. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. This is the end of our Old Testament reading today from the book of Joshua. It's to be continued tomorrow. We're left on a cliffhanger. Looks like the enemies have gathered together as one against Joshua and Israel, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have learned. The Lord was responsible for the victory at Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. He made himself known as Israel's commander-in-chief in Joshua chapter 5 verse 13. However, he was not consulted in the plan to take Ai in Joshua chapter 7 verses 2 to 5, so he cannot be held responsible for Israel's defeat. Achan's sin was at this time unknown to Joshua or the general public. He coveted the fancy garment from Babylon and the silver and gold, took it and buried it in secret. But his secret was known to God and stirred his wrath toward the people of Israel. Joshua chapter 7 verse 1. Thirty-six Israelites were killed as the Israelites suffered a humiliating defeat at Ai, even though they had an army of three thousand that far outnumbered the enemy. Joshua tears his clothes, puts ashes on his head, 
and falls prostrate before the Lord to make his complaint. He reasons that the Lord's reputation was being tarnished by allowing this defeat. The Lord will have nothing of it and interrupts Joshua's prayer, telling him to get up and command the people to consecrate themselves because he is coming to sort them out. Early the next day, the Lord adopts a method of progressive detection, and Achan's sin is found out. He makes his confession after his tribe appears before the Lord. Somehow it is made known that the culprit was a member of the tribe of Judah, of the clan of Zerah, of the family of Zabdi, and is Achan, the son of Carmi. Achan confesses, I have sinned. He even says, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. But confession of sin itself does not guarantee a person's salvation from the wrath of God. Confession did not save Achan in Joshua chapter 7 verse 20, or Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9 verse 27, or Balaam in Numbers chapter 22 verse 34, or Judas in Matthew 27 verse 4. They all confessed their sin. But the other side of repentance is a turning from sin to Christ. There must be a transfer of trust to God's merciful promise of a Savior. There must be a turning to the Lord. King David received assuring words when he made his confession. Second Samuel 12, verse 13, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Sin has consequences, even when confessed and forgiven. David realized this when he numbered the people of Israel, sinning against the Lord and causing a plague to come against his people as divine retribution, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 17, Achan's sin put the entire community in danger and caused them to suffer loss. Strict discipline is given to Achan and his family for disobeying God's explicit orders to keep themselves from things devoted to destruction in Joshua chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Achan admits his sin of covetousness and the stolen plunder is dug up in his tent. He and his family are stoned to death and their belongings are destroyed which was according to the word of the Lord. Achan's sin had a profound effect upon the whole community. The Lord saw Israel as one body. Our sin affects the whole body also. This is the first recorded act of disobedience after Israel crossed the Jordan, and Achan's death was the first commanded punishment in the new land. The Lord is making the point that his word is not to be regarded as a mere suggestion, but a command. The first recorded sin after Pentecost is Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit and the Jerusalem congregation about their gift-giving, and they are disciplined with an early death due to it, in Acts chapter 5, verses 1-11. through Achan is stoned to death in a valley that is given the name Achor, meaning trouble or affliction. Remember, Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day, Joshua chapter 7, verse 25. Later in the history of Israel, as we shall see, the valley of Achor, the scene of Israel's trouble, will become a door of hope to restored Israel. Hosea chapter 2 verse 15. Then I will give her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope, and she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. God is a God of a second chance, and He grants them a do-over, so that they can defeat and capture the city of Ai. This time the battle plan will not be according to their calculations, but the Lord's instructions. The children of Israel heed the Lord's directions given to Joshua and successfully ambush the city. 
there is an interesting record of Joshua raising the javelin in his hand until he had devoted all the inhabitants of the military fortress of Ai to destruction. It reminds us of Moses raising his hands on the mountaintop while Joshua and the Israelites waged war against the Amalekites in the valley in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. Joshua builds an altar in thanksgiving for the victory that the Lord gave. He sacrifices burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, makes a copy of the law of Moses on stone, and reads it before the people as they renew their covenant relationship with God. He builds the altar according to God's instructions in Exodus chapter 20, verses 24 to 26, with no cut stones, emphasizing that their victories were the result of God's grace and not wrought by human hands. On April 6, 1980, Adam Zertel, Ph.D. professor of archaeology from the University of Haifa, was doing a formal archaeological survey of the traditional lands of Manasseh and discovered a Hebrew altar that dated to 1250 B.C., The rectangular altar we see today was built about 1250 B.C. The 6.5-foot circular stone structure with burnt kosher bones inside was located directly beneath the rectangular altar and was built about 1405 B.C. by Joshua. Adam Zertel said that the discovery of this altar made a Bible believer of him. He has undergone a transformation of faith that is truly remarkable. Like most of his fellow Israeli archaeologists, He did not believe the Bible stories of the Exodus to be true, but that all changed in 1983, three years after Zertel first stumbled on the site while doing a formal archaeological survey of the area. After studying the structure for three years, with no idea what it was used for, he suddenly realized that it was the site of Joshua's altar. Now he believes the Bible. Adam Zertel said, We discovered this place, all covered with stones, in April 1980, At that time, I never dreamt that we were dealing with the altar. Because I was taught in Tel Aviv University, the center of anti-biblical tendencies, where I learned that biblical theories were untrue and that biblical accounts were written later, and the like, I didn't even know of the story of Joshua's altar. But we surveyed every meter of the site, and in the course of nine years of excavation, we discovered a very old structure with no parallels to anything we had seen before. It was nine by seven meters and four meters high, with two stone ramps and a kind of veranda known as the Sovev around. End quote. So he found the altar right where the Bible said it was, and even the stones cry out as a testimony to the truth of the Bible. Now let's read the New Testament reading from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. The Parable of the Dishonest Manager Chapter 16, verse 1 He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. 
For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If, then, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament. Let's take a few moments to unpack what we have just read. Jesus tells such interesting stories, doesn't he? He tells the story of a rich man and his unrighteous steward. The rich man's employee is found out for being wasteful and crooked. When the poorly performing employee learns that he is about to be fired, he makes appointments to meet with all his master's clients who have not yet paid for their services, and he deceitfully adjusts their bills offering great discounts on the amount of money owed to his master. He knew that they would be indebted to him for this great favor and thereby feel obliged to offer him a place to stay when he was put out of his job. The surprise is that when his manager discovers this dishonest deed for which he was the victim, he commends him for his shrewdness. Why? Because his dishonest employee is exhibiting values esteemed in his own corrupt business world. He was using his master's money to buy friends for his future living situation. Jesus often refers to the normalcy of corrupt practices of the unnatural man's deceitful heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. Examples of this is that he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, in Luke 11.13, and in Luke 18.6 he says, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Jesus does not commend the man's dishonesty. He tells the story to illustrate that the most wicked of this world are shrewd enough to provide for themselves in light of what is to come in the future. Yet his hearers should be more shrewd, not in dishonest practices, but thinking wisely about what is to come in their future, their eternal dwelling place, whether heaven or hell. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they shall receive you into the eternal dwellings. Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Jesus uses this humorous story to address his disciples, the sons of the light believers, to admonish them to use whatever material wealth they currently have towards the eternal purpose of seeing people come into the kingdom of God through faith in the gospel, knowing that our material wealth will ultimately fail us in the future. Jesus follows this story with another truth. No servant can serve God and money. Like the Pharisees, we can easily justify our selfish pursuits, our accumulating wealth, 
and our disregard for the eternal concerns of the kingdom of God. But God knows your hearts, Jesus says. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. We have just read of such examples. The practice of both the rich man and the unrighteous servant were detestably dishonest, as is the servant who claims to love God, yet serves and lives for money and material wealth. Jesus then tackles another subject in which men justify their disregard for the values of the kingdom of God. Easy divorce. Jesus knew that many people, even in his day, divorce in order to move on to a new partner to legitimatize their adultery or the adultery in their hearts. In Luke chapter 16, verse 18. Now we move on to the book of Psalms, the Bible's songbook. We are in Psalm 82, verses 1 through 8. The title given to this psalm in the ESV version is Rescue the Weak and Needy, a psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, You are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die, and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. In this psalm, the psalmist addresses the unjust judges of this world as gods, those who were originally appointed as God's representatives, sons of the Most High, to execute righteous judgment on the earth. Yet they walked in darkness without spiritual, moral, or intellectual understanding. God warns the wicked judges that they will perish. The psalmist cries out for righteous judgment. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. Now let's go to the book of Proverbs, a book containing wise sayings designed to keep us away from foolishness. We're in Proverbs chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. This proverb, he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin, reminds us of the saying, loose lips sink ships. Soldiers in World War II were warned to take precautions and not speak of anything that might endanger their troops. We need to be reminded that we are in a spiritual battle. We must give attention to what and how we speak. There are those who plot the downfall of others, and there are those who plot our downfall. They use slander, gossip, malignment, libel, and the exposure of inappropriate information. We are reminded of this in the New Testament with a similar warning. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to wait upon you and not act presumptuously. We don't honor you as Lord in name only. We want to honor you with the surrender of our lives. You are worthy of our obedience. Help us to follow your lead. Lord, we ask that you bridle our tongue that you would teach us how to speak words that build up, cheer up, and stir up. Help us to be a blessing to others, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 
It's been a blessing to spend time together in God's Word today, and I hope that this podcast continues to be an encouragement to you, helping you to stay at it, reading the Bible with daily doses of eternal truths. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 12, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within, so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all His demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. That's the J.B. Phillips paraphrase of the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't forget to subscribe to this one-year Bible tour guide podcast wherever you get your podcasts, as it will help you to be prompted whenever a new episode is ready. And you can always get a written copy by email by subscribing at our own website, newlife.org. My name is David McAdam, and you can contact me by email writing podcast at newlife.org. My email address is podcast at newlife.org. So until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Shalom.